Start your journey with master coach, clinical counselor, and Ayurvedic practitioner, Paris Mogtatter, to uncover new layers of your life. Together, we'll break the social conditioning that holds you back, giving you a way to improve physical health, greater emotional stability, and strengthen connections both within yourself and others. Unlock clarity on what you want in all five realms, body, mind, emotions, and spiritual alignment, plus a special connection to source for an extra sparkle. So don't hold yourself back any longer when it's time for transformation from unsure self-doubter into confident game changer. Let's get started today. to bring to you my longtime mentor and teacher, Dr. Scott Blossom, today to the show. Dr. Scott has integrated traditional Chinese medicine, Ayurveda, yoga somatics, and evidence-based nutrition into his clinical practice for over 25 years. His experience really shows in the wealth of his knowledge and the teachings that he does. Throughout the pandemic, his work shifted to more online offerings that integrate microbiome science with Ayurveda and Hatha Yoga Somatics. Scott's current offerings include clinical work, integrative wellness courses, and one-on-one health coaching in longevity mastery. Dr. Blossom has also been a faculty member of the Kripalu School of Ayurveda, which is where I met him. And he has been my teacher and my mentor and my personal doctor for over 10 years. Let's jump in and listen to the podcast. Hello, everybody. Welcome back to the Ayurvedic Therapist podcast. I'm so excited because I have my mentor and I'm my teacher, Dr. Scott Blossom, on today. Um, Dr. Scott and I, we have a history of going back to over 12 years where he was the faculty, or he still is the faculty at Kripala School of Ayurveda, and that's where I met him. And uh, we have just, he has just been my teacher, the one teacher that I love to follow, and I've learned so much of what I teach and what I uh, embody today from Dr. Scott. Thank you so much for being here, Scott. Thank you. Yeah, it's my pleasure. It's really an honor to have you. And you're tuning in today from uh, Berkeley. I am. I'm I'm tuning in from Berkeley, California. (laughs) Mm -hmm. Awesome. It's a magical place. (laughs) And uh, so... And we're just going to jump right into it because, uh, Scott, you have such a hu- amazing, huge, extensive background in Ayurveda and in Chinese medicine. And recently you brought so much of all of that together with the somatic movements and their connection to the mind. So um, I just wanted to see if you can tell us a little bit more about how you can bring all of these different, uh, you know, sciences together to create that uh, somatic kind of thing for the mind. 
Mm, yeah, thank you. Yeah, I was, you know, when I started my um, education, I was getting a biology degree. I got have a biology degree that I got from UC Santa Cruz. And I remember kind of putting the dots together that integrative medicine was going to be the way. And that's what I was passionate about. And then, uh, you know, it occurred to me too that, oh, well, if I was going to really do it, do it you know, like deeply, I would need to study these other things. And so I was only 22 when I had the vision. So I, was, I, I, I thought, well, 10 years, that's not too long, you know, and, I, and then I started studying all those other things to, you know, traditional Chinese medicine and Ayurveda and ended up working in, in the Cancer Center of Santa Barbara and the hospital in Santa Barbara in kind of some in, integrative projects. But, um, you know, to answer your question more specifically, the piece about the somatic is that in both traditional Chinese medicine and Ayurveda, the practitioner, if somebody goes to a skilled practitioner, they can do a lot to support them. But what I've found after 25 years now of being in the clinic is that unless the person is doing some kind of somatic practice, and, and I mean something beyond jogging or lifting weights or playing sports, something where they're actually consciously investigating, refining their musculoskeletal, neuromuscular patterning, you know, the way that they move, really looking in and, and, and refining it, that um, the therapies that come from traditional Chinese medicine and Ayurveda often don't work as well without that. You mm -hmm. know, there, it's, it's a significant support to it. Yeah. And so um, I love how, I love that. I want to repeat that for our listeners. So it's not the one thing that you do from like Ayurveda or Chinese medicine or whatever medication you're on or the diet that you change. It all comes together in your experience when we actually bring in this intentional, mindful, kind of investigative movement that we call kinosomatics. Is that right? Absolutely. Yep. Yeah. And I know that you've had um, a huge deal of um, great experience and your own personal practice with um, uh, mentors like, um, you know, uh, the shadow yoga that you did with Sandor and um, Dr. Robert Svoboda, who is your Ayurvedic mentor. Um, and then I have just watched your own practice of the, the movements uh, kind of evolve over the years as I have been learning from you and as I have been practicing with mm. you. And I'm just wondering if, um, where are you at now? Like, what are those um, specific somatic movements that we do and how do they affect our mind? Yeah. Yeah, thanks for that question. I mean, I'm thinking of it kind of in two parts about, you know, what are some of the things around movement that are kind of evolving for me, you know, in terms mm -hmm. of, because I've been in a very committed yoga practice for now since, I guess, 1990, it would have been 1990, 90, that's what it was. And I was like a Frisbee dog, you know, it's like, I remember going to the first yoga class and it was like, like I was into it and I'm still into it. And, and then I was lucky to have great teachers like Shandra Ramate, who, who really taught me about how to pay attention, 
how to sense and feel movement and feel my body in a way that opened up not only um, some healing and some ease and some coordination and some strength and balance and all that stuff, but more importantly, you know, an understanding about how um, the subtle level of the body works, the level of circulation, the level of where the mind is really impacting the body. And it wasn't because I read books. It was because I actually started to see and be able to actually directly sense that certain attitudes, certain emotions, I, I could get more attuned to where they would land in my body and what kind mm -hmm. of effects they would have. And some of the most insidious parts of that, of course, are beliefs, you know? So it's like the thing animating the emotions were certain attitudes that I would come into things. And sometimes it would be five years of like, not knowing that I had a certain belief or attitude operative, but then it takes me in a certain direction and I would hit a dead end or something. And then it would, then it would, then the inquiry would start to reveal that. And so, um, yeah, so the, so in that way, it wasn't just the successes with my body, but equally the challenges and the setbacks with my body in that process that actually were the teachers, you know, were the things that showed me mindsets that were either unconscious or uninvestigated that were, you know, impacting, impacting me. And so that's, a, you know, that's one way to put it. And if you translate it into sort of yoga and Ayurveda speak, it's to say that um, prana is the subtle bridge between the mind and the body. It's, it's, the, it's the subtle energy between the two, but it's completely responsive to the mind. They're like, they say they're like two fish that swim in tandem. So it has, so it's not that the mind controls the prana and it's not the prana controls the mind. They're, they're like two, you know, two friends or siblings or partners who are constantly influencing each other. And they're, they're always, they're always having its, having their influence. So if you work from the side of the body, you will, if you pay attention, eventually end up working with the mind. And if you end up coming from the mind, if you really pay attention, you'll eventually end up working with the body. And folks that get stuck on one side of that polarity usually are doing that because they have themselves not investigated some things that are making them either unconsciously or consciously biased about the value of investigating the body or the mind when really that spectrum is it's undividable, you know, you can't, you can't separate it. And, and you just, anywhere you start will lead you into the whole thing eventually if you keep paying attention. Yeah. Oh my gosh. Yeah. I love, I love that. And um, it's so true. It's like, we cannot be, we cannot be focused on the mind if we, we don't tap into the body in the same way. And I think in the, in the therapy world, it's like, We've had all these years of talk therapy and it's really beautiful and you, it makes you really kind of logically understand what is happening for you or the stories that you're telling yourself or all of these history of trauma or experiences that you've had, but it takes years and years and years maybe to make changes. And I think that's the link yeah. Where it's like we've we've held all these memories and experiences and tensions in our bodies and we can't just logically understand it we have to drop into the body and one leads to the other if we really really pay attention right. they're not separate and it's 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 such a such truth um and i think for me um personally just 
keep coming to your retreats and following the ways that you teach, uh, especially with the movements, because I know that it can be really difficult to really drop into your body. And I would see, you know, like it was a very particular group of people that it has always been a particular group of people that can follow you, <laughs> Dr. Mm -hmm. Scott, because it's hard. What you te teach is the real stuff. And, uh, you know, over the years, I know that I've seen people come to the retreat and be like, um, I'm here to relax and enjoy myself. And all of the shadow parts of me are coming out and I can't deal with that. So let yeah. me run away, you know. Yeah. Um, and in a way, it it is kind of like, I I feel like it's kind of like squeezing things out of our body when we when we are really going deep and doing these particular movements and it it can be that you know it does it doesn't take long like when we when when I come to your retreats it's sometimes five days it's sometimes a week um, but during that time it's always a breakthrough for me I'm like I wonder what other layer is going to come out this time you know, and it's like, just really being able to go deep and pay attention to those deep mm -hmm. layers mm -hmm. that really um, gives us information, you know? Mm. Yeah. So, um, uh, yeah, like, um, just being able to learn to tap into the body. So for, for example, for people who are not really um, yogis or they don't have the time to really dedicate hours to their practice. Yeah. Do you think that they can still find smaller ways to drop into their bodies and where would they start? Yeah. Um, yeah. And well, and thank you for that reflection. I read an, I read a, a quote from uh, Basil van der Kolk the other day that said, understanding well understanding why you feel bad doesn't change how you feel you know yes it's a step but the, the the actual alchemy of being able to have skills to shift shift and to you know to work with emotions in a dynamic way that isn't just simply i'm going to relax them or i'm going to shush them or i'm going to move you know it's like that that very subtle thing of actually listening to them so that you respond to what's there and that's actually the you know in the capacity to respond um the the parts of ourselves that are feeling strong emotions start to trust us differently whereas if we're constantly giving a certain message then those parts of us that are you know upset they know that you have an agenda and you're not actually trying to have a dialogue and so it's similar with the body right and mm -hmm. so so you know from my evolution around movement now is at some level the bottom line is circulation. So if somebody does something as simple as to the joint rolls and joint mobilizations that we always do, that can be a five-minute activity of mobilizing each joint of your body. It's very gentle, you know, and I have people that, mm. I have patients that have rheumatoid arthritis, and I'll say, okay, on the days when it's really active, it's not a matter of trying to do full range of motion, but it is a matter of telling the body, hey, motion is the rule. That's what, that's what the body does is it moves. So even if it, they can only move a tiny, tiny bit, they're still communicating to, your, to their body that motion is going to come each day. 
And so without irritating or inflaming or, you know, kind of exacerbating their situation, um, honoring the limit, but also um, that by reminding the body that it's going to move, the body can, will continue to look for ways to, to you know, make movement possible, even in a context where there's inflammation that may have an autoimmune basis or some kind of very complex basis. So that's 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 like layer one, and then and then layer two, of course, is working with breath. You know, like movement when there's conscious breath is going to trigger that neuromuscular level. So now a person is actually going to find often that they may wake up feeling stiff, but if they start moving with breath, their body opens up and becomes supple not so much from stretching, but from the breath itself. And that makes any stretching or any kind of flexibility developing type of activity work better. So that's like a number two. And a number, you know, like a third layer, which I think you referred to is the kind of the, you know, doing movements, doing movements that are going to require you to coordinate and um, integrate your support from your bone structure out, mm. meaning you're not just muscling something. It's actually learning to support yourself through your bone structure as a listening process. You can't force it the way you can with muscles, but it also will inevitably, like you're saying, it goes in and when the bones get utilized, when all of your bones get utilized, it will have that almost like that squeezing effect and it'll start to reveal things to you that may actually be uncomfortable, but that's not the goal. The goal isn't to do something gnarly and have it be uncomfortable so much as it, it, it starts to really show you where the blind spots are in your system. And some of the most old school ways of doing that are things like squats, um, things like uh, static, you know, static positioning or holding with limbs straight, um, maintaining postures for periods of time um, you know that kind of thing and really if you look at if you look at the eastern traditions yoga or qigong or tai chi they're all oriented around strengthening bone mm. they're all oriented around making you encounter your bone structure so that you fundamentally are encountering the force of gravity because your bone structure is really the conduit for that force and not the muscles the bones evolved to resist gravity and give you a chance to be upright so as you become as you do things that make you reckon with your bone structure you will be reckoning with gravity and that clarification is rejuvenating for your body even if even if you've got some shit to move out of the way like even if it brings some stuff up yeah yeah. yeah, and I know I I love that you you uh, refer to the bone because that practice changed everything for me. Um, I traditionally was trained in um, yoga yoga traditions that talked a lot about muscle mm. and it, yeah, and and connective tissue and that kind of thing. But working with you, I started to kind of really go deep into my bones and. It not only changed the way I do yoga, I move, but it also changed the way I look at life because it's just really that deepness of uh, going to the core, going to the mm. core of our bodies, going to the core of what comes up out of that practice and going to the core of 
whatever is happening for us in life, you know? Yeah. So it's, it's a really beautiful thing. Yeah. And so, which brings me to this question of, um, you know, you've been my mentor for years and you have had mentors, beautiful mentors yourself. And what I see a lot today with, uh, especially kind of younger people's kind of like, oh, I don't need anybody. Here I am. I'm like fabulous on my own. And and in a way, coming from the background that I am, like the Eastern background and how I grew up and knowing how mentorship is so valuable and important. I always tell my clients, just find, or my students, I always say, just find one person that re- you really look up to that can teach you things and follow them because we, no matter how many books we read and how much we think we know, we always have those blind spots. Yeah. You know, and it's a really funny subject these days, I find, because a lot of people, you know, in the old days, they would go and try and find gurus from India or whatever. And now it's like, Oh, I don't need a guru. I'm like good on my own. So I just wondered if um, if you had any, um, you know, tips for us around that, like finding mentorship or. Mm. Yeah, thank you. That's such a it's, it's always such a central question, especially if anybody's teaching something or they're guiding others through the process of, of really any kind. And, um, you know, there. It, it, as a Western cultural comment, we do have a suspicion of gurus. You know, we're, we're, we're kind of, that's the, that is our fundamental bias. And I don't say it in a negative sense. It's just like, yeah, we start from that place and that's healthy because, you know, at this point, there's not one religious or spiritual tradition around the world that hasn't been tarnished by sexual scandal or abuse of power in some way. And that that's a, you know, that's, it's a, it's a a heartbreaking statement, but it's true. So, so, you know, in certain traditions where the teacher student relationship is very important, like the Tibetan Buddhist tradition, they'll say, you know, if you find a teacher that you're drawn to, um, you know, study with them, but keep your distance for a few years, you know, take a couple or a few years to really see them through their own seasons, let them go through their life and see what happens, mm-hmm. see who they are through a period of time before you, you know, you, you, you assume any kind of trust that you might, you know, be feeling or the, you know, the draw to them, which I think is wise. That's very wise. And that, um, you know, and that, as you said, you know, beautifully, the main thing, in my opinion, for having guidance in anything that we aspire to be master. Help us see the blind spots that we possess that would hinder us toward that goal that we have, toward that desire that we have, because the blind spot is by definition opaque. You know, we're, we can't be aware. We don't know what we don't know. Mm-hmm. And so a good guide is really excellent for that process. And that on a, you know, on another level too, is that especially for people who feel like they are averse to the idea of having a teacher student or, you know, that kind of guidance relationship, a mentorship relationship that there's another concept in 
Um, it's, it's very prominent in the Eastern traditions, which is the Kalyana Mitra is the term. And what it means is the term Yana means path and Mitra means um, a friend. So what you do is you actually pick somebody who is interested in the same thing you're interested in and you're both you know, working towards some level of mastery and you make a relationship where you're gonna, you agree to have real talk about it, you know, where you reflect to each other and you give each other permission to be sort of um, honest in a way that's more maybe intense, more scathing, more unflinching, but surrounded in that friendship, the love of that friendship. And that, you know, between having good teachers who have more mastery than you do, and then having good people who are interested in the same stuff that you're interested in, that you can really kind of, you know, get into the nitty gritty, that, um, that combination, I think, you know, is, is really, that's, that's one of the traditional recipes for, for getting similar things. Oh, amazing. I love that. Having a friend yeah. on the path. <laughs> And yeah. checking in with them and then having the teacher. Yeah. 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 That's yeah. such great advice. Thank yeah. you, Scott. Oh, okay. And um, so lastly, but not least, um, <laughs> I'm really curious to know, um, um, you know, you, you have been one of the men in my life that um, I see is able to balance the masculine energy so well with the, you know, the feminine, the yin and the yang energy within yourself and in your family life and in, in like how you teach your students. Um, and I've always looked up to you for that. And I feel like we are in a day and age where I see more and more, you know, women are, at least in, in my practice, I get a lot of women who are looking to grow and make themselves spiritually better. And they, they always struggle with their men um, in their lives. They really want to lift and elevate the men up. And I feel like there's a bit of um, confusion in our society around the masculine and feminine energy and how men can really find that balance in their own life. And I know that you are doing some work around that for your own um, groups that come to you. So I wonder if you can tell us a little more about that. Mm. Yeah. I, being, having been in, doing the work that I've done through my career around clinical practice with Ayurveda and traditional Chinese medicine, teaching yoga, um, my experience is that probably 70% of the people that come to me are, are women. Mm. And, um, and basically one thing that is, you know, so I have a, I have a child who's, uh, who's gender queer and their name is Tara. And uh, I've had some incredible conversations about masculinity and femininity with them because they've been really looking at gender. And one of the things that they've said about some of their friends who have, um, who are transgendered, who identify as, as men is that it's really hard to find anything besides the critique of toxic masculinity. 
Like there isn't, there isn't an, there aren't all these great examples of what it looks like in the positive sense, but there's, you know, you know, a huge amount of content and critique around what it looks like in the negative sense. And so, you know, with, with men in general, the one comment I have is that I think that there's a very deep and I would even say compulsive cultural training for people who identify as men to know things Mm. and what happens is then so if somebody you know say their partner starts to become interested in things like self-development and spirituality those are not things that you know they're process-oriented things they're by definition mushy and swampy and unclear and if you're and if somebody is really enculturated around a more archetypical knowing stance which often our culture goes along with the masculine you know kind of uh, set of qualities that we that we subscribe to that um that that can be on the one hand um threatening and then what can be the response to that is just just to be kind of like oh it's just so wishy-washy like what's i'm a problem solver i like to see like here's the thing i'm going to take care of it then we get this other outcome whereas this just seems like it's all just spinning and kind of you know um endless reiteration of some kind of vagary and it can be you know that's the thing too is i'm not going to say that it doesn't become um something that can uh, you know, lead toward more confusion sometimes. But at the same time, um, there is where I think what we're learning to see is that that stance, that stance doesn't work in relationship because relationship itself, whether it's relationship to the natural world, social relationships, intimate relationships are filled filled with uncertainty and you know better than I as a therapist you know about how that operates and can be very threatening if one or both partners are really hung up on knowing something and it's not to say you don't know anything it's just to say you have to take it step by step in that process way and that if you go deep into these things that are you know daily routines of self-care daily routines of inquiry around somatics daily routines of of practicing relationship with human and more than human uh things in your world um then that that teaches you a lot about not needing to know in a bigger sense but actually learning what you need to know from moment to moment to keep the relationship healthy and um so yeah that's that's yeah yeah, no, that's a, that's a great comment because never thought of it that way, but it's so true. It's like I'm a man, I, I, I just I do get things done or I do things. I don't need to inquire about like who I am or these layers inside me. I don't need to know that kind of thing. Yeah, <laughs> that's it. Yeah. yeah, exactly. Yeah. Um, thank you so much, Doctor Scott. So many valuable points in there um, that we can go back and um, kind of learn from. And um, I just want to say, lastly, that um, if someone is interested to grow spiritually and they want to know more, you have online courses, you also um, see clients is still one-on-one. So I will 
I will include all of that information down below. I know that for my own health and well-being, I check in with you <laughs> every now and then, even if there's nothing going on. So um, Dr. Scott is a wonderful, wonderful doctor with so much wisdom that can look at different areas of what's going on and figure things out. So thank you so much. Yeah, thank you. Great talking. Yeah, great to see you too. Great to see you. If you enjoyed what you heard, please go ahead and subscribe. Share with anyone that you think might benefit from the contents of this podcast. And in case that you're ready to embark on a personalized program with myself, together we can create a roadmap through a unique 12-pillar program that I have created from 20 years of experience um, for self-empowerment, understanding of childhood emotions, mascaras, and total well-being. I have created this program for women like you who really want to go to their next level and are willing to do the work. To find out more, go ahead and click below on the link to book a free 30-minute call with me and I can show you what the program is all about. I'll see you then.